turn in Holy Scripture tonight to 1 Timothy, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul is writing to young pastor Timothy, who is a minister in the church at Ephesus. And in this chapter, he gives instruction concerning what office bearers are to be like. This has application then to the office bearers, obviously, but to each one of us also. We are to strive and to pray for these qualities that we hear about tonight. This is the word of God. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth his ruleth, ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So far do we read God's word. The text is verses 1 through 3. I'll reread that. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. 
In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul gives us the qualifications for office bearers. According to chapter 3, verse 15, he is writing to young pastor Timothy in Ephesus to show him how to lead the church there. And in particular, in, in this chapter, chapter 3, Paul tells Timothy the qualifications, the, the characteristics that an office bearer must have. And he talks about elders and deacons in the chapter. Timothy, as leader of this young church in Ephesus, he must know how office bearers are to behave so that he can tell this, this young church about that. And then, then the people will know who to vote for, for office bearers, and the office bearers will know how they are to act. So this is a very important chapter, an important chapter for Timothy and his day, and it remains an important chapter today. The work of, of office bearers is, is so important. We want them to, to do their work well because when they do their work well, they help us. They help the whole church. And they serve us well. They serve Jesus Christ. So this chapter is very important. And we are going to look at, at mainly the first characteristic for office bearers that is given in this chapter. The characteristic of blamelessness. Blamelessness is the first qualification listed in chapter 3, and that is because it is the fundamental qualification for an elder, or bishop as this text calls him. If an elder has blamelessness, he will have the rest of the characteristics in the, in the chapter, but if he doesn't have blamelessness, he won't have any of the characteristics here in chapter 3. Understand this word about being blameless applies certainly to bishops or elders as verse 1 talks about. But this word also applies to ministers and deacons. It applies to ministers because ministers are elders. 1 Timothy 5 verse 17, just a few chapters later, says this, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Those who labor in the word and doctrine especially refers to preachers. Certainly, elders are to be teachers as well, to be apt to teach as we read in the text. But it's especially talking about ministers there. Ministers are elders and they are to be blameless. This word about blamelessness applies to deacons too. If you look at 1 Timothy 3 verse 10, we read the same characteristic must be found in them. The end of the verse says the deacon must be found blameless. We need office bearers that are blameless this year. You just had new office bearers begin their work this past week. We need them to be blameless. We'll see that tonight. But really, we all are to be blameless. This isn't just a word for the office bearers. We all are to be blameless in gratitude to God for our salvation, in gratitude for that covenant communion we heard about this morning that we get with the great God. 
Paul makes plain in the context that the office bearer and, and each of us, we behave properly only by the power of Christ. Only by the power of Christ. Paul, he was an apostle and he behaved as an apostle only by Christ's power. He makes that clear in previous chapters. He confessed in chapter 1, verse 1, that he was an apostle by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. He was called, that means, and equipped by Christ to hold the office of apostle. Then he says in chapter 1, verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me. Christ enabled him for this work, empowered him for it. Christ died for him at Calvary's cross, and based on that work at the cross, he now worked in Paul, empowered him, strengthened him to do the work of apostle properly. Paul writes, notice, about all these qualifications that office bearers are to have only after he talks about Christ and about how he empowers those whom he puts into office. So the power is in Christ alone. That's the logic of the text. As we hear this calling then for office bearers, and really for each of us to live blamelessly, think about that. Keep that in mind the whole time. We need Christ, and he strengthens his people by his grace. And may Christ strengthen us through the word now, that we hear, that's how he's pleased to work, through the word. May he work mightily through the gospel preached this evening. Let's consider the text under the theme, the blameless bishop. The blameless bishop, first the office, second the qualification, and third the necessity. The office, the qualification, and the necessity. Verse 1 speaks of the office of bishop. We read, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of bishop, he desireth a good work. To hold the office of bishop is to be an overseer of the church. An office is a position of service in the church. Paul was writing to Timothy, who was a pastor in the church at Ephesus. A body of believers was there in Ephesus. We are a body of believers here in Loveland. A church, well, an office is a position of service in the church. And the three offices that are mentioned in the New Testament are minister, elder, and deacon. Verses 1 through 3 talk about, though, the office of bishop. And that term bishop refers to an elder. The word bishop is overseer. That's what the word bishop in verse 1 is in the Greek language. It means overseer. And in scripture, bishop or overseer is another term for elders. We find that, for instance, in Acts chapter 20. In Acts 20, beginning at verse 17, you read about how Paul was talking to the elders of Ephesus. 
He met them on the coast on his way home from a missionary journey. He's talking to the elders of Ephesus. And then he says to them in verse 28 of chapter 20, he says to these elders, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. And that's the word for bishop in our text. Over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. That term, bishop or overseer, actually helps us understand the office of elder. Shows us what an elder is. He's an overseer of the church. He watches over the people of the church, caring for them, protecting them. That's his duty. The elders oversee the church by paying close attention to the people. And when they see someone struggling spiritually or walking in a, in a wrong way, they, they talk to them, they bring them the word to help them. Show them the way they are to walk and work with them. They watch over the church by visiting those who are sick or those who are facing other trials and they bring the word to them desiring that those who are facing those trials keep their eyes on Christ. Elders also oversee the minister watching over the preaching of the word each Sunday and making sure the people are being directed to Christ. And the office bearers watch over, the elders watch over the church at their meetings, their consistory meetings, where they discuss how the church is doing. And they talk about how they can help certain members that are facing trouble or difficulty and how they can help. Now remember that the minister is also an elder, so he's involved in that work of oversight. He's in on this. That's their calling. Minister, elder, they are to be overseers. Now, the elder is an overseer in the church, and along with the, with the other office bearers, is appointed by Christ to that position. The elders here are appointed by Christ to their position. First of all, we know that because Jesus Christ is called the head of the church in Ephesians 1 verse 22. That he's the head of the church means he's the ruler of the church. He controls it. He controls what happens in his church. Well, then you see that he controls what happens in the consistory room when certain men are nominated for office. He controls the vote at the congregational meeting when men are selected to be elders. The men who are elders are appointed by Christ for the position. And that's even brought out more explicitly in Acts 20, verse 28. We read that passage already. But Paul says to the elders of Ephesus, he says, The Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. The Holy Ghost is the Spirit of Christ, whom he sends forth. And Paul says, The Holy Spirit makes you an elder. So office bearers are appointed by Christ. They are his representatives. And that shows us really how we ought to view them. And that is we must submit to them and be respectful to them who have been appointed by the head of the church, our Savior Jesus Christ. 
that office of bishop, office of elder, it's a, it's a good work and an office that is to be desired. Verse 1 says, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. So the office of bishop, this office of oversight, it's called a good work, and it's a good work in three respects. First, it's a good work in respect to God. The Lord is pleased by the work, the proper work of a bishop. For instance, when the elder brings the word to a saint that is facing many trials or is facing sickness, that elder brings the word which serves to the comfort of that person. That's pleasing to God. His blood-bought child, his precious sheep, was comforted by that word. So this is a good work. The office of bishop is a good work in respect to God, but also it's a good work in respect to the church. When elders bring the word and, and discipline even to one who's walking in sin, God uses that to bring back his sheep to the fold and to enjoy his presence and nearness again. When the elders watch over the preaching properly, the, the people of the church, they get to see Jesus Christ in that preaching. That's good for them. So the office of bishop, that work is good in respect to God. It's good in respect to the church. And it's, it's good in respect to that office bearer himself. It's good for him to have this position. Good for him spiritually. And we understand that when an elder has to go on a... On a, on a visit to someone who is struggling spiritually, maybe walking in a wrong way, they have to be ready with the word to explain that word to that person. It's good for them to study the word and, and be ready to answer that person's questions and to help them from scripture. It requires lots of study, but that's good for the man. And being an elder, that elder has the responsibility to think about others and not himself so much. The responsibility to give of himself to the service of others. That's, that's good for the man. God uses that for the man's sanctification. To lead him away from that idolatry of self that we, you kids heard about in, in chapel this week. So he has to think about serving God's people. So the office of bishop is a good work. And therefore, as the text says, it's a work that is to be desired. Verse 1. Desire the office of a bishop. Desiring the office of a bishop is spoken of positively in the text. It says desiring the office of bishop is desiring a good work. So it's talking about this as a proper desire. Something good to reach out for, to long for, for this type of work. We must desire it in the right way. And for the right reasons. The office of bishop could be desired for wrong reasons. One might desire the office of bishop so that he's got power over others and, and he can control others then. And that would be a bad reason to desire the office. Another bad reason is personal glory or that he, he gains fame among men 
and popularity. It's not why we should desire the office of bishop. Instead, desire the office of bishop for these reasons. Number one, so that you might serve the Lord. You might do something that serves God. And second, so that you might do something that serves his people. His precious blood-bought people. This office is to be desired for proper reasons and in the right way, the right manner. A proper way to show desire for this office of bishop is to pray that you might hold it one day and that you might do the work well. A proper way to show desire for this office is to prepare for it properly so that you're a man that seeks to be present at the events of the church and at, at Bible studies and at other events. You get to know the people and you, you're prepared them to serve them one day. Another proper way to show desire for the office and prepare for it is by working on becoming apt to teach. That's one of the requirements for an elder to be apt to teach or able to teach. Work on that. Already now, young men, work on that so that in your homes, when you have devotions, you talk about the word with your wife or with your children. and You seek to show forth Jesus Christ from the passage and what it means for us. That's a good way to show desire for the office that you are working on teaching. In summary, may it be very clear very clear that the office of bishop is a, is a good work and, and something truly to be desired. That's so important that we see that because, well, we can easily speak of the office in, in a wrong way, a negative way. We can think, well, it will, if I get that office, it's going to take up my free time. I won't be able to do this or that hobby, this or that thing that I like to do. If I have that office, it's going to take up my energy. I might have sleepless nights. It's going to be hard. And that some of that is true. It will be hard. But that's why God emphasizes in this passage that this is a good work. Notice at the beginning of verse 1, the words, this is a true saying. So not only does the Holy Spirit say this is a good work, but emphasizes that by saying at the beginning, this is a true saying. So the Holy Spirit's telling us this is a good work indeed. This is something truly to be desired. So do that. Desire it and desire it for the right reasons and pray about it. The chief qualification for being a bishop is the first qualification listed that we talked about in the introduction, and that's blamelessness. That's the qualification we're going to focus on tonight, blamelessness. Verse 2, a bishop then must be blameless. What does that mean? To be blameless is to live in such a way that others find no grievous fault in you. It does not mean that 
the elder has no sin. Of course it doesn't mean that. We each have a sinful nature. We sin. But the word blameless, it, it means in the original language, cannot be laid hold of. And the idea is that you cannot be laid hold of with a grievous fault. Now, what's a grievous fault or a grievous sin? Well, grievous sins are those which lead a church to lose respect for a man. Grievous sins are those sins which the world can take and point to and, and use to speak against the church and speak against Jesus Christ. Grievous sins are the sins that are listed in verse 3 of this chapter. One who's given to wine. One who's a striker, one who's greedy, a filthy lucre, and a brawler. That one is guilty of grievous sin. And implied in verse 2 is another grievous sin, and that is fornication. That's the opposite of being the husband of one wife, committing fornication. One who lives blamelessly lives in such a way that others cannot charge him with grievous faults. But positively, he lives a godly life. That comes out in the text in the sense that after blamelessness is listed there, then come some positive godly attributes. A blameless man who is one who doesn't have others laying faults before him, but also he's one that's living according to God's word, to God's glory. It's clear to those around him. He seeks the glory of God in what he does. That's his, his main concern. That's what he lives for. God's glory. Now that characteristic of blamelessness, that's something that one only has by the power of Jesus Christ who works through the word. Christ works mightily through the word, strengthening his children. And that's part of why Paul writes to Timothy about this characteristic that elders need to have. Paul wants Timothy to bring this word to the church in Ephesus, show them the truth about blamelessness. Christ works powerfully through that. So Timothy, bring that word to the people. Same thing's true today. Christ works through the same word now to strengthen men to live blamelessly. Thankfulness for salvation. Salvation in Jesus Christ. Now one who is blameless has the characteristics that are given in verses 2 and 3. We're going to look at those characteristics. One who is blameless is first the husband of one wife. Find that in verse 2. One who is blameless is the husband of one wife. The text is not teaching that to be an elder and to be blameless, you have, to, you have to be married. The idea instead is that most bishops do get married. And so being married, they are to be the husband of one wife. The phrase husband of one life can literally be translated this way. Of one woman, the man. Of one woman, the man. The emphasis in that phrase is, is on this, that the, the bishop in his marriage relationship is to be devoted to his wife, faithful to his wife. 
The married bishop must be one who seeks only his wife sexually. That was important for Paul to make clear to to this church in Ephesus in, in this day because there were many new converts in the churches that had more than one wife. Or in some cases had one wife, but uh, many mistresses on the side. And that can be the case today too. Maybe not in the same way, but that a man has one wife, but he seeks other women sexually by what he views on the internet, or what he views on the television. The bishop is to be one who seeks only his wife sexually, is devoted to her in that way, but really... The husband of one wife is one who's devoted to her in every way. The relationship, it it mirrors the relationship of Christ and his church. He is one who's devoted to her and helping her physically, spiritually, emotionally. Of one woman, the man. So in summary, one who is committing adultery one who is viewing pornography, one who is abusing his wife, that one may not be an elder. And if he is, he has to be removed. The bishop must be the husband of one wife. Second, Still looking at these characteristics for one, the elder who's blameless. First, he's the husband of one wife. Second, one who is blameless is not given to wine, but instead is vigilant, sober, and of good behavior. Those characteristics are all found in verses 2 and 3. Verse 3 is where we read that the, the blameless bishop is not given to wine says wine there, but it applies to all alcoholic beverages. And the idea is not that a bishop, an elder, may never have a glass of wine or any alcohol. That's not the idea. It says they may not be given to wine. And that phrase in the original language means that they may not be one who sits long at their wine. So they may not be getting drunk or even one who gets buzzed. He must not be the kind of man either who every time you see him has an alcoholic beverage in his hand. And the reason for that, the reason for that qualification is, is easy to understand. The elder is one who's supposed to be making good, wise decisions for the church, but when you drink too much, you don't make good, wise decisions for the church. You're not even, you're not thinking about the church. You don't make good judgments at all. And, and besides that, drunkenness leads to the grievous faults that we read of here in the passage. It leads to being a striker. When one's drunk, he becomes a brawler often, or he fornicates or commits other sexual sin. That's what drunkenness leads to. So one may not be given to wine. But instead, he's to be vigilant. That, that opposite 
characteristic is found in, in verse 2. He's to be vigilant. And the, the word vigilant in verse 2 means that means temperance. He is to have temperance. One who has temperance can control his use of earthly things. And in particular, control his use of alcohol. And that's a fitting qualification for an elder. If he is to be one that is focused on helping the people and helping them spiritually, he, he cannot be obsessed with earthly things and overusing earthly things like alcohol. He needs to be focused on the spiritual and helping people of the Lord. The elder must not be given to wine, but instead be vigilant and sober, according to verse 2. Sober. To be sober is to be of a sound mind, thinking clearly. You don't act impulsively, but you, you think about your decision and if it's wise or unwise, according to God's word. One who is blameless is, is not given to wine, but he's sober, making good decisions in accordance with the scriptures. The bishop must be vigilant, sober, and of good behavior. Verse 2 again, of good behavior. That means orderly behavior. That bishop must be one who is ordering his life according to the word of God, seeking to follow it. Third, one who is blameless. The blameless bishop is not a striker or brawler, but instead he's patient. He's not a striker or a brawler, but instead is patient. When verse 3 says that an elder may not be a striker, it means that he may not be someone who fights with his fists. And when verse 3 says he may not be a brawler, that means he may not be one who fights with his words. Now it is true that one must stand for the truth. But one may not just stand for the truth in any way that he pleases. One must stand for the truth in the proper manner. One must not do it angrily. One must not do it in a way that seeks to make others look foolish or, or dumb, less than you. Instead of being a striker and a brawler, instead one must be patient. The elder must be patient. Verse 3, that term is contrasted with striker at the beginning of the text and then brawler that comes right after it. Wants to be patient. And that word means fair, gentle. Instead of angrily attacking someone who disagrees with you, you patiently, that means slowly, carefully explain your position. And when they don't get it right away, that you're patient means that you don't get all angry with them, but you recognize that you too don't always understand everything right away. Sometimes it takes a little time. So gently, slowly explain. A blameless one is not a striker, not a brawler. He's patient. And fourth, regarding these characteristics, the blameless one is not greedy of filthy lucre and not covetous, but instead is given to hospitality. Verse 3 talks about filthy lucre. I wonder what that is. Well, that's money or possessions that are gained in a dishonorable way. 
such as by stealing or lying or, or gambling or, or some other wrong way. And to be greedy of filthy lucre means that you're eager to get that money and get that possession in any way you can, even if it means a dishonorable way. You want it. So uh, a man might charge an unsuspecting customer extra because he knows he can get away with it. He's greedy of filthy lucre. Well, the inspired apostle also speaks of the heart sin that's at the root of being greedy of filthy lucre, and that is covetousness. Covetousness. It says the blameless man is not covetous. Verse 3. To covet is to desire for yourself what God has not been pleased to give you. It's the desire to have for yourself what God has not been pleased to give you, the means to purchase, but you want it. And that covetousness often manifests itself and that you speak of it often. It's really the main thing you think about, main thing you talk about. That covetousness and that greed for filthy lucre, it must not characterize the elder. And that characteristic's given because if an elder is covetous and greedy of filthy lucre, you know what he's focused on. He's not focused on the spiritual. He's not focused on helping God's people spiritually. He's just focused on himself and things. And we can't have office bearers that are like that. Instead of being greedy of filthy lucre and covetous, the blameless one is given to hospitality. That's verse 2, given to hospitality. To be given to hospitality means that you welcome a guest or stranger to take care of them. To be given to hospitality, that word in the original language, it refers to caring for people that you don't know. That's the idea. It's not just being hospitable to somebody that you know that's in your church but it's being hospitable to someone that you do not know. You see them at church, you see them at an event at church, and you welcome them, and you talk to them, and you, you try to help them in any way that you can. Maybe you have them over for, for Sunday lunch, or even that you lodge them in your home overnight. That too comes from the original language. The Greek term indicates that you give a stranger a place to stay. Think about that. Giving a stranger a place to stay, that means you're pouring yourself and your resources and your time into helping that person. But that's what it means to be given to hospitality, and that must be a characteristic of the elder. The elder does that. The blameless bishop does that as one who knows how the church has taken care of him and how people have helped him, and he wants to, to show thanks to God for that, by helping others, helping others too. And last, regarding these qualifications, verse 2 says that the blameless one is apt to teach. Apt to teach simply means able to teach. So an elder must be one who can communicate the truth to God's people truth of salvation in Jesus Christ, the truth of how we're, we are to walk in gratitude. 
Again, that's something that young men here have to think about and prepare for. So that you're in the Word and you practice teaching. You really are teaching, but also practicing for the office of elder by teaching your children, teaching around the dinner table, going through the Word with your wife. Prepare for this position. Be apt to teach. And this is all necessary. That office bearers be blameless and have these characteristics that flow out of blamelessness. This is necessary. Verse 2 says, A bishop then must be blameless. And that verb, must be, it literally means is necessary. So the verse says, it is necessary for a bishop to be blameless. That means that one who does not have this characteristic of blamelessness and the, the characteristics that flow from it may not be an office bearer. May not be an elder, may not be a deacon or a minister, and if he's already in office, he has to be removed. It is necessary. And understand why it is so necessary. It's so necessary, first of all, because if an, an office bearer isn't blameless, he does great damage to the church. Think, for instance, of an office bearer that is a brawler. One who is always fighting with his words so that you go outside the church after the morning service and he is always arguing with somebody or trying to prove a point or belittling people. Well, you know who notices that. We all do, but our young people do too. And they think, why in the world do I want to be involved in a church like that where people are acting like that with that kind of pride? It does great damage to the church. And, and we know too that when a bishop is not the husband of one wife, but instead commits sexual sin, what damage that does to the church, to our witness, to our children, great damage. Second, it's so necessary for the elder to live blamelessly because when an elder fails to live blamelessly, he will bring great shame to Christ's name. The elder is a representative of Jesus Christ. And so when he sins in this way, these grievous faults, he brings shame to Christ's name. The world knows about who the bishops are. There are people that work for you or work with you that know your position. person that maybe doesn't have much to do with church. Well, you know what happens if they would see that you, uh, an elder in the church, are someone who is belittling others, a striker, a brawler, or that you're given to wine... When they see you acting in that way, what they say is, what a bunch of hypocrites. And what kind of, they talk about this Savior Christ, but he makes absolutely no difference in their lives. They live just like I do. Worse even. I want nothing to do 
with going to a church like that. So that's the negative side of why it's necessary, why it must be that bishops live blamelessly. There's also positives to why bishops must live blamelessly or why it's so necessary. And the the first positive is that when bishops live blamelessly, the, the church is built up spiritually. When the elder has a godly marriage, when when he has good behavior, when he's hospitable, the young people, the young adults, we see that. And we are led in that pathway too by the grace of God. What what a powerful example it is when the elders in the church and and really all the office bearers are are living as those who are patient in, in a good marriage Loving their wife, being hospitable. What a powerful example that is to the future of the church, our young people and children. When the bishop leads a blameless life, that also helps him witness to the world. The world will will see that this man is different from others. He's faithful to his wife. He loves his wife. He he wants to help others. He's patient with me. And and the world will see then what a powerful Savior that we have. Some, that is God's elect, they will even be brought to glorify him too. Knowing the necessity then of, of office bearers living blamelessly, knowing the great necessity of that, look to Christ for strength. That's where we end again with Christ. Look to him for strength to live blameless lives, to perform the duties of your office in a proper way. Elders, do that. Truly do that. Don't hear the word and go home and not think about this, this again. Truly pray that you live a blameless life. Pray for Christ to strengthen you because you have a sinful nature and that sinful nature is capable of committing the worst sins. Realize that. Sinful nature, my sinful nature, is capable of committing the very worst sins, grievous faults we've talked about tonight. Besides that, the devil is working very hard because he knows what damage he can bring to the church when an office bearer doesn't live blamelessly. So knowing the necessity, knowing the importance of it, truly pray that Christ would strengthen you. Christ was the perfect office bearer. He came here to this earth prophet, priest, and king, and perfect, lived a perfect life all the way to the cross. Look to him for strength now to live blamelessly and execute the duties of your office. And he's pleased to strengthen us through the word that we hear tonight too. Pray that you might be strengthened through this word we've heard. In congregation, understand too the high calling that the office bearers have to live blamelessly. And you too pray for this daily. We talked about leading a regular prayer life this morning. We heard about that. We'll make that part of your regular prayer life to pray for our office bearers that they lead a blameless life. And you then will be shown how to do that. As they live a blameless life, you'll be led in that way too as fellow people in the church. May our Lord bless us through the word. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, Lord, we are thankful. Thankful for this word about office bearers and all our calling to live blameless lives. We need thee. 
Strengthen us now through the word that we have heard. Strengthen us to fight against the temptations of the devil and to seek to live unto thee in gratitude for Christ. Lord, we pray that thou wilt provide for us, not because we are worthy, not because we've asked for it, but for Jesus' sake. Amen.